One of the joys of living in Washington, D.C., aside from the Armed Forces Cycling Classic, is getting to learn a lot of acronyms, getting to learn a lot of abbreviations, learning that there's a difference between an acronym and an abbreviation. An acronym is something that you can say as a word, like NOAA and OAA, as opposed to an abbreviation, which is like the NAACP. You can't say that as a NAC. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can't. It doesn't matter. But when you work and live with the federal government and specifically with the Department of Defense and the branches of the, of the military, you learn to work with their alphabet soup of acronyms and of, of abbreviations. For example, one of my all-time favorites in the civilian world is TLDR. Too long, didn't read. That's not good enough for the military. The military has to have its own. B-L-U-F, bluff. Bottom line up front. It's a way that a commanding officer can gain situational awareness over things in the lower echelons of his or her command without having to wade through a 10-page email. Again here, FYI, for your information, not good enough for the military, FYSA, for your situational awareness. So bluff, one line, one word, one sentence that encapsulates everything so the commanding officer doesn't need to read anymore. The bluff for Armed Forces Cycling Classic. Crit racing is back. It is hot and it is intense and it is 2021 and we are ready to rock and roll and go. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. Armed Forces Cycling Classic, traditionally late May, early June, every year, like clockwork. Just like that, every year, like clockwork, it is the first unreasonably hot and unreasonably humid weekend in the mid-Atlantic, and this was no different. Temperatures in the 90s, both Saturday and Sunday for Crystal City and Clarendon, Humidity in the, I don't know, 150% level where you're just walking through soup. It is classic Washington, D.C. weather. It is classic southeastern United States weather. And it wilted people, especially in Sunday's 100-kilometer slugfest that was the men's race or the 50-kilometer slugfest that was the women's race. These races happen in the middle of the day. Hydration, preparation, all of it is so critical here in Armed Forces Cycling Classic, and you could tell that there were some people that just didn't take the warnings. There were some people who just didn't pay attention to what was going to happen and what was predicted by NOAA, by the NWS, National Weather Service. There is so much to discuss here. So this show is going to have a little bit different of a format than the previous shows. It is not a deep dive interview with one or two people. It is coverage. It is recapping. And it is something that we're working on and we're trying to get better. No battle plan survives first contact with the enemy or in the boxing phraseology. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Well, here is our getting punched in the face. Tell us what you think about the way that this recap is going. Hit us up at Gmail uh, with criterium nation at gmail.com. 
you know, hit us up DM wise on Twitter or on Instagram at Criterium Nation. Tell us what you think of the way that we're doing this and whether or not we can tweak it and improve it. I promise you we're taking notes here and we're trying to get better. On the women's side, Celine Oberholzer from Wolfpack ATX joins me to break down the women's race. We do it right there, right next to the course as the men are racing on Sunday. You can hear the ambiance with it. On the men's side, Kyle Teasler from Gutenplan, I dragooned him into doing the coverage with me. Alan Schroeder, unfortunately, out in Boise, wasn't able to make it to the race this weekend. And so I grabbed Kyle while he was walking away and said, hey, do you want to do a recap? He did a way above average job for somebody who had not been told that he was going to do this. So if there's any critique on the men's side, bring it directly at me. Don't bring it at Kyle. Kyle did a great job. I really enjoyed getting to meet him right there on the side of the road on Wilson. And I hope that I get to see him at Tulsa and get to see him at Toad. While we're giving out tips and pointers and we're talking about a little bit of a critique and I don't want to call this a critique at all but maybe a missed opportunity given the number of DMs texts messages tweets all of it that I've received in the last I don't know 72 hours before the race started there was a huge missed opportunity here and that is specifically what the race director did with not having live video coverage of the race in the years past, there has been a, a live stream. It's been hidden behind a paywall. It's of a higher quality than the normal live stream that you would talk about or think about because it is actually put on by a legitimate broadcasting company. But that wasn't done this year. I don't know why it was a complete surprise to me that the live coverage of the video feed was just not done. I didn't know about it until I got there on Saturday and decided that, Maybe I should do something about it. Maybe I should use the podcast's Instagram account to do as much live coverage as I possibly could so that people could see what's going on. Video streaming and video coverage is so fundamentally critical to bike racing. It's critical to all sport. The NFL would not be the NFL without its broadcast. The same for Major League Baseball, cricket, F1, any of it. People want to see their stars. They want to see the performances happen. And then the recaps come in. And then the photographers come in to bring in their extra added flavor that they bring to a race. They slow things down. The broadcast recap here slows things down. But people still want to see it in real time. Sponsors, marketing agencies, they still want to see it in real time. When we get to Tulsa, when we do USA Crits, when you do Sonny King or Pro Crit Championships, there is a live video stream that happens. And it's so critical for racers to know that when they go to an event, that they're going to be covered that way. And it's just a missed opportunity here. Yes, you had 1,000, 1,500 people on the sidelines of this race. Crowd estimates are really difficult, by the way. It was deep. There were a lot of people. But over 1,000 people watched the 10-second or 15-second clips that I put up on Instagram. I chose Instagram only because I'm comfortable with it. I can add a little cute caption to it, which says Steven Vogel off the front or Brian Gomez off the front for the billionth time in a row for Destroy Cycling. You know, there were a 1,000 people following along, and there was no 
prelude. There was no preview. There was no marketing that went into that. That's just organic. People want to see what's happening. They want to know what's happening, and they want to get fully involved in it. So please, race directors, promoters, if you're going to put on a race and you're going to call your race the place where champions come to race, give us the coverage that we want right then and there. Don't put it behind a paywall either. I know it's expensive. I know it's a huge cost and it's a part of your marketing budget, but this is the way that we organically grow the sport. This is the most televisable version of road racing that there is. And arguably the most televisable version of sport that we have in cycling. Let's embrace that. Let's bring it out there. The quality doesn't have to be perfect, but just don't have it be skippy. You know, if you're going to have a lead car, if you're going to have a pace car, if you're going to have a VIP experience, put a camera in there too and let everybody be the VIP because that's how we get the message out there. Talking about getting the message out there, Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content like this show, like Cyclocross Radio. Bill Scheichen was there on Saturday and Sunday taking pictures. Go over at CX Hairs, see what he did. He doesn't understand crit racing, but he definitely understands how to get a good shot. On top of that, Nowhere Fast, the Slow Ride Podcast, and the Grodio. We got to hear about Unbound Gravel from Amanda, Unbound XL, 350 miles of insane nonsense. She did it. She accomplished the goal. Congrats to her. WideAnglePodium.com is your place to go for all of that. Check it out. Subscribe. Become a member. Help support this show and those like this show who are trying to bring the content to you that you crave and the entertainment and the education that you want. This show is brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net, your home for everything in endurance coaching, in nutrition services, in humor and wit, and in lots of text messages from Zach Allison. Congrats to him on his 29th place finish at Unbound. Congrats to Whitney, his wife, on her fourth place finish at Unbound, despite some ridiculous flatting issues that she had at one point in time. Criterium Nation used the promo code at checkout for $50 off your first month. Now, we're going to get into the coverage here first with Celine. She's going to go through it all. We'll bring in some conclusions, lessons learned after that, and then we'll switch into the men's side. Stick around. Here we go. Celine Oberholzer, Wolfpack, joining me here, so court side, street side, course side, at Armed Forces Day 2, so when you hear the guys going by right here, <laughs> isn't that a beautiful sound, disc brakes going by you? Yeah, I love it, and the wind, it's nice. You are done, both races in the books, 50 kilometers of insane racing today, an hour of insane racing yesterday. What was it like out there yesterday in Crystal City for the women? Talk to us a little bit about how the race played out leading up to those final couple of laps. Um, it was awesome. It was. I think everyone was really excited to just get the jitters out. And I think everyone or a lot of people had raced that course before, and it's not much of a breakaway course. Nevertheless, um, 
Everyone was pretty excited to animate things. ButcherBox launched a couple attacks. Um, CWA launched a couple attacks. Everything got brought back pretty quick. I'd say the pace was high most of the day. There were a couple lulls in there. But for the most part, it was pretty much attack after attack, but everything was covered. I know that DNA and Legion were both eager to have a field sprint. And that course typically ends up in a field sprint for the women. So that's exactly what ended up happening. I'll let the guys roll by real quick. And this is what NPR calls ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely ambiance. One of the things that was different about Crystal City this year compared to last year is the course was actually two blocks shorter. So that oh. long straightaway is normally two extra blocks. No way. Wow. I mean, it's already a really long finish. So just being stretched out two more blocks, that's insane. Was there anything particularly tricky about that course yesterday? Because it, we saw in the men's race later, uh, two-thirds of the field got caught up in a crash mm -hmm. right in that first corner. That's exactly it. It's that first corner. I don't know exactly what the deal is with it. There are a little bit, there are a couple bumps in it, but um, for the most part, I'd say it's pretty safe just looking at it. But if you, I guess watching that video, you can see that the far outside of that corner is a little bit off camber. So if you were to enter the corner at a little bit too shallow of an angle, and then you go to overcorrect on the outside. I think that's exactly what happened to that guy. He just slid out um, because it is slightly at an angle. And then if you overcorrect, you're angling your bike even more aggressively, and then it's just game over from there. Um, so that was definitely a corner to look out for, especially because it is after the start-finish straight. A lot of people are eager to move up. And they'll kind of dive into it, trying to gain better position going into the rest of the course. So just because of positioning purposes, it gets a little bit sketchy for that reason, too. How did it develop with the teams? I mean, a lot of these teams have seen one or two of the other teams. But this is the first race of 2021 where CWA is lining up against Legion and you're lining up against Wolfpack. And these are teams that are geographically kind of separated out. But for 2021... Arlington, Virginia was the first place they all got together. Yeah, uh, my impressions were that ButcherBox was very eager to animate. They weren't just trying to sit in and let the race happen. I was actually pretty surprised to see DNA missing a lot of the moves. Uh, maybe they were just unconcerned and trying to conserve their cards for the end. Obviously, whatever they were doing is working because they got great results this weekend. Um, but yeah, they weren't really initiating a lot of the moves. And same with Legion. I think they played it really smart. They were up there the entire time, but at least for day one, not really initiating much. Uh, day two, they did send a couple attacks that were pretty brutal. <laughs> so let's talk results on day one. Yeah. Very, very unshocking results <laughs> for a sprint finish. The wide-angle version of the podium, Rachel Langdon from InstaFund, Michaela McPherson from Lux in fourth place, Skylar Schneider, Legion in third, Maggie Coles-Lister from the great country of Canada and also DNA in second, and Kendall Ryan continuing her dominance in Arlington, Virginia in first. I looked up this morning. She has been on the podium 
every year here since 2014. That's so impressive, especially I think to win one or two times at a particular course is difficult, but then to keep doing it year after year after year, I think every year it gets exponentially harder because people are looking at you and they're like marking you and it just keeps getting harder. So for her to do that year after year, I'm absolutely impressed. From the inside, how did that that sprint finish kind of develop? Um, so I'm not going to lie, I exploded on the last lap, so I didn't get to see it firsthand. But um, yeah, that last lap was just absolutely on fire. Um, Skylar and Kendall were right there from what I heard, and Skylar nailed the lead out, and that's exactly um, what Kendall needed, and she just powered through to the finish, and it was game over for everyone else. It shows you that your lead out train is dialed in when there's only two women on your team that were there. Amber, the guest rider for Legion, not a factor in the final sprint, but Skylar definitely was. And she ends up on the podium herself in third place. So that's like, that's a little bit of Mark Renshaw, you know, Cavendish circa 2009 Champs-Élysées tour sort of thing where your lead out person ends up on the podium. I think that's just what happens when you play your cards right. Like it doesn't matter how active you are in the first 10, 15 minutes. It matters what you can do at the end. And I think Skylar and Kendall, even though there was two of them, and I think a, a lot of people discredited them because there were only two of them, they just nailed it. They were exactly where they needed to be throughout the duration of the race. They didn't bother to animate on a course that was going to stay together. They didn't really chase things down because they weren't obligated to. Um, and then they just nailed it right at the end, and that was really cool to see. One team that didn't really factor in yesterday that's a surprise to me was CWA. You know, what was the deal there? I mean, I think their top rider ended up in 12th place, maybe. You know, it just seems like they they just missed out there at the very end. Yeah, the entire race, it kind of felt like they were on the back foot and a bit reactive. I don't know if they haven't been racing as much or I was honestly really surprised I was expecting them to be a lot more I guess in the moves and more aggressive and just up there but it it did feel like they were really I guess the best word is reactive um and not really on top of things which was interesting I was not expecting that that's for sure so speaking of aggressive day two here in Clarendon, Virginia. Have you ever done a 50K crit before? <laughs> um, I, I can't say that I have, but it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I love this course. It's really technical. It's pretty much corner after corner. And there's a couple hairpins almost, um, which I love. But it does, yeah, it gets pretty crazy. And especially with the finishing stretch, because the finishing stretch, you're coming out of a what almost is a 180-degree corner, because it's two 90s right next to each other, into a slight off-camber uphill 400-meter drag. Yeah, it's a long finish. Another, They love the long finishes here at Armed Forces. <laughs> they must do They They definitely must, because this course is designed for people who just don't quit in the sprint. Bottom line up front here, the results are a little bit different from yesterday's, but they're kind of a reshuffle of everything. You know, in fifth place again, Rachel Langdon from Instafund. 
Skylar Schneider switches with Michaela McPherson for third and fourth. Uh, and then you have Kendall in second getting out sprinted this time by Maggie Coles Lister from DNA. I only got to see a glimpse of the sprint because I'm in the far corner from the finishing stretch, but it looked like it was no holds barred. Just, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and go, you know, you're hugging your top tube sort of sprint. Yeah, absolutely. And that now that you mention it, I think it's worth bringing up that Rachel Langdon is also only here with one other teammate. So... It sounds like the two-man hit squad is uh, just as effective as a full six-man team. Um, and Harriet, also to her credit, is um, coming back from a really bad concussion. So ha her and Rachel racing together, just the two of them, is also very impressive and worth mentioning. I posted on Instagram on one of the stories that Instafund might as well have taken up permanent address on the front of the field because every <laughs> lap it was Rachel or Harriet or Harriet or Rachel on the front yeah. animating, breaking it apart. And that's what ended up happening. This field shattered. Yeah, it did. It got ripped apart. What was it about the course do you think that lent itself to such you know, field splits? I mean, because it wasn't even like one or twos going off the back like you would expect in a lot of crits. It was tens and fives and fifteens getting broken off. I think it comes down, it's not necessarily even power, but it's skill in the corners. Because if you're stuck behind someone who opens up a gap in the corner and then you have to close gap after gap after gap to stay with the lead, you're going to just blow up. And I think that's exactly what happened is not everyone is as competent at cornering. And on a course like this, you don't just have to have balls. You have to have the skill to do it because you don't want to just wipe out. Um, and cornering fast is just that. It's just it's a skill. And if you get stuck behind someone who's breaking and those gaps open up, it's just game over at the pace that things get ripped apart at. Your team, Wolfpack, spent a lot of time reacting. It seemed like everybody was deferring to your team to chase things down. Yes. <laughs> how is that How is that the case? Why can't we get a little bit of proactivity on behalf of Wolfpack? So today in particular, two of our riders were sick. So we were down to four riders. And Julie knows this course really well and kind of had predicted that there might be a breakaway. So because we didn't have our sprinter today, we really didn't want it to come down to a field sprint. Um, and our ambition had been that if something goes, we kind of need to be in it um, because we didn't have that horsepower for the end. Um, and so we were just really hopeful that something would stick and just kept reacting to things in the hopes that it would stay away, but it unfortunately never did. And um, Julie was actually positioned perfectly at the end, but Sometimes it's just bad luck and two uh, CWA riders crashed out right in front of her and then she lost that momentum having to navigate around that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was the finishing the last lap. So it was kind of game over as soon as that crash happened, which is pretty unfortunate because it's her home race. And I know she was really looking forward to smashing out here. And she was, yeah, she, like I said, she's positioned perfectly. But the two C CWA girls um, overcooked that corner and um, it was I hope they're OK. Yeah, there are several really challenging corners here that 
you know, have felled a lot of the best riders, men and women. We've seen at least one neutralization of the men's race already. And I think we're only at 60K to go. No, 70K to go still. You know, could you have done a 100K race here? I think it depends. I think it's kind of crazy that the men are racing at this time of day. It's brutally hot out there. I love endurance events, and I think the pacing is a little bit different when you know you're going to be in it for that long. Um, so, I mean, I would personally be down for a 100K race. I wouldn't call it a crit anymore at that point. It's probably more of a kermesse. But I think that would be something that would suit me, and I would love to see that for a women's race. Um, however, today, because of how hot it was, I was not mad about our race being 50K. <laughs> or your 10 o'clock start time. Yeah, that 10 o'clock start time. Honestly, you were upset about your 9 a.m. start time, but I would have happily traded with you. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's interesting because I think this is probably the earliest start time of a crit during the course of the year. Because all USA crits races start at seven or eight o'clock they're twilight crits this is a midday early june 90 plus degree and 110 percent humidity type of crit you know is that an aberration you know do you think that that's the you know like this needs to stay kind of a unique event that way yeah i i think it's nice to have it a bit different um racing in the morning is honestly mentally kind of nice because you go to sleep you wake up you try to eat breakfast through your nerves and then you just get it over with but sometimes with those night crits you spend the whole day kind of building it up and then you get to bed really late and that has its own kind of special quality to it but especially when it's hot out having morning crits i think is the way to go so we go from here to the big one tulsa tough Blue Dome, Crybaby Hill, Sound Pony, all of it. But when we get there, we're going to have a new power rankings. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, the preseason is over, and now it's time to actually get down to having results. We've got all of the results that have happened in the last couple of weeks. We've got the races here today and yesterday, and clearly we need to reshuffle a little bit these power rankings. So the CX hairs algorithm has been redeployed. We've made some modifications. You know, there were some holdovers from cyclocross that were still in the algorithm. There was a bonus for bunny hopping the barriers. Clearly not necessary in, in criterium racing. So without any further ado, in fifth place this week in the power rankings is Rachel Langdon from Instafund. In fourth place, Michaela McPherson making her debut appearance from Lux. Skylar Snyder is in third place here from Legion of Los Angeles. In second place, I mean, second and first place could almost be a toss-up because they switched back and forth this weekend. But the algorithm is infallible, and it says that Maggie Coles Lister is in second place from DNA. And in first place, your champion yesterday in second place today, Kendall Ryan, Legion of Los Angeles. How do you think that that power ranking fares compared to our initial list? I think it's a lot more accurate. Um, I think, I mean, having races is revealing. Yeah, just getting to see people racing in this time period rather than basing things off of 2019, which was so long ago, um, it is a lot more accurate <laughs> is how I would describe that. Um, Rachel, I think, 
is a phenomenal bike racer. She knows exactly where to be. She knows exactly when she needs to be there. She's always animating things. She's never content to just sit in and let things happen. She's, she's not necessarily comparable in terms of her sprint to Kendall and Maggie, but she, she's a very good all-arounder. And because she knows exactly where she needs to be, she can get fifth in a really, uh, I guess, in a course that really favors sprinters. Um, and I think that's really impressive because, I mean, Kendall and Maggie have these like insane sprints and for someone like Rachel to be able to contend with them is absolutely phenomenal and goes to show that sprints aren't just purely power, it's positioning, timing, all of the above. Um, and she really has it dialed. So I think she's very worthy of that fifth spot. And then I haven't raced with Michaela before from Lux. But for her to have really consistent results two days in a row on two very different courses is worthy of mentioning. Um, And obviously she has a great sprint based on those results and also knows where to be and how to time it. So props to her for that. And do we know how old she is? I don't know, but I was also about to give a shout out because I know the age of one of these riders in 10th place today was Katya Sarkisov. She is 16. Wow. And she's up there with the best of the best. So there is a lot of hope for the future. Now, let's talk about those top two, Kendall and Maggie. Let's not forget Skylar. And Skylar, the lead out. You know, obviously, Kendall and Maggie is going to be a battle yeah. this year. I have a feeling we're going to see them in the power rankings and on the tops of podiums a lot. You know, obviously, you know, with Maggie being from Canada, we're not going to see that in the, you know, USA Nationals type thing. But you'll definitely see it in, you know, USA crits. Do you have a prediction of who comes out on top and, you know, more often than not between those two? Are we just is it just too early to see? I it's hard to say. I know that Kendall is in amazing shape right now and she's been training for track Olympics. So she's on fire. Um, However, it is an extremely condensed and simultaneously condensed but really long season and it's hard to hold that form throughout the entire season so I'm curious to see how she's going to feel come September and Maggie because she's on DNA they have a lot more riders that they can shuffle through so I guess it comes back to like am I underestimating Legion because they have two riders and DNA has more variety that they can work with but I'm thinking they're going to prove me wrong and I shouldn't underestimate them. And um, I think Kendall can do it. Um, I'm very impressed with how she's riding. So 2021 might be the year of the crit queen, Kendall Ryan. Yes, I would love to see it. Great. We will see you at Tulsa. now here in the studio have had a little time to kind of decompress think about it process what happened during the course of this weekend and i think it's a good time now to give some kind of conclusions or perspective about the women's racing to the extent that you can give conclusions or perspectives based on two races in the first weekend so huge grain of salt there that being said 
right now, this is still about the individuals. The women's racing right now is about the ones and the twos who are there. The Kendall Ryans, Skylar Schneiders, the Harriet Owen, Rachel Langdons, Tina Pick, or Shannon Koch from Colavita. There were a lot of people who were there, but there weren't a lot of team dynamics playing out here. And it is the nature of women's crit racing where the fields are smaller than the men, you know, 60 women in the race as opposed to 135 men, that you do have more focus on the individuals. And right now, given that these races have come down to sprint finishes in day one and two at, at Clarendon and Crystal City, it is about the way that those individuals reacted. Kendall, working off of Skylar, had an incredible result. Maggie Coles-Lister working with a larger DNA team, but still working mostly off of what Kendall and Skylar were doing, positioning in the last couple of turns to launch when she needed to based off them. Going forward to Tulsa, we're hopeful that we see more out of the teams, more out of the wolf packs or more out of the CWAs, these groups of women that are coming in fives and sixes as opposed to the ones and twos. Colavita should have a larger squad when it gets closer to its home base in Denton or its home base in Texas, you know, because you'll bring, be bringing in Christina Goki Smith and the women who are out there. But will that be as big of a difference as it is right now for the men who've got six guys coming every single time? Will that work in its favor for the women? Here's the hope that it does because it will create an increased level of diversity. The top five both days at Armed Forces were the same for the women. It was a shuffling of that. Get more variety in it when you bring in more teams and you bring in larger team dynamics. We have a lot of good things to work with right here. You know, the women who came in and raced on Saturday and Sunday did an incredible job. It was incredibly entertaining. I am hoping if it continues to be dominated by the sprinters like it was this weekend, that we see a resurgence of Harriet Owen coming back from concussion and have her play her role right up there alongside Kendall, right alongside Skylar, right alongside some of the other dominating sprinters like Maggie or Madison Kelly. One name that was missing was, of course, Olivia Ray, out because of surgery and an injury to her ankle, coming back tentatively for Intelligentsia, so there's still some time before she gets in there. So if it stays a sprinter's match, you've got your big names. You've got Kendall, you've got Skylar, you've got Maggie, you've got Harriet. Who else is going to be in there? Who are the other women who are going to come to the forefront? Obviously, you got to think about Summer Moak from Wolfpack, an incredible sprinter. You know, you've got to give credit to the Lux Riders who are coming in on junior gears and still doing as well as they did, like Michaela McPherson. Another name, Lauren Kuhn from United Cycling. So it's going to be an exciting year. If we see more team dynamics, we'll likely see more in the way of breakaways. But for right now, for Tulsa coming in, if I'm going to have predictions, I'm going to say that the first two days are going to be sprinter days just like Armed Forces was. So you're going to see a sprint coming from a 20 or 30 person diminished group probably on Saturday, a bigger group on Friday night as it's not as challenging, of course. And then Sunday's anybody's guess. It really is. When you get on Crybaby Hill 
and you start to see a full squad of women from like Levine Law Group coming in with Emma Bast and Haley Bates and, and Rachel and they're gonna mix in there and they're gonna try to, to do things to break it up which is kind of what their specialty is so Tulsa coming off of lessons learned from Armed Forces definitely an exciting race hopefully a little bit cooler so that the preparation won't be as as stifling as it was for armed forces but just having racing is fun and we're very much looking forward to seeing what the women do next week As weird things happen, I grabbed Kyle from Guten Plan and decided that this was the perfect opportunity for him to break down what happened this weekend. So like we did with Celine Oberholzer from Wolfpack earlier in the day, we start chronologically. So we start yesterday in what was supposed to be a sprinter's race at Crystal City. Like every other year, it ends in a sprint finish, but yesterday it does not. Yesterday, it wins in a four-up breakaway with Connor Saley from ButcherBox winning, Alec Cohen in second, and then, it, well, actually, it was Tyler Stites in second and Alec Cohen in third. Was yesterday kind of an eye-opener? It's the first time that you've been up against the best of the best this year, you know, with all the big teams. How did it go? Yeah, so it, it was, I was pretty anxious going into it. You know, because we haven't raced since 2019. Yeah, so, I mean, I think everybody was nervous. You could tell, because um, I usually crack jokes during the race, and I never got any responses back. And, you know, everybody was very focused. But uh, it wasn't too, too bad. You know, uh, there were definitely the crashes that happened uh, in Crystal City. But that, that first corner, why? You know, like, it was maybe 10 minutes into the race. And I'm sitting on the, the grassy knoll in the comfortable area where it's got the shade and everything like that. And then I see 40 guys of 135-person field coming riding the sidewalk right back. What is it about corner one? You know, all, so I was actually, like, right behind it. Um, and I was able to avoid it. Michael Hernandez of Best Buddies, he, like, shouldered me and we were, like, leaning into each other, avoiding it. And, you know, I just saw a guy, I think a guy hit a grate and he might have been too far up and shouldn't have been up there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I just saw him spinning on the ground. And then after that, it was, I just heard carbon and, you know, everything that you hear from bike crashing. And But really, after that, I think it kind of, oh, there were, there were a lot of people that came in, weren't there? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I saw that, like, there were two laps in a row where there was, 20 plus people getting shoved back into the race so um yeah it, there was a couple uh sewer grates there it was tight you know the roads weren't as open as i normally am used to with these big races which i think you know it adds an extra challenge moving around but it, it was just bumpy, and there were a lot of bumps yesterday what about the team dynamics because you know guten plan support clean sport one of the teams that's a part of, you know, USA Crits is a part of a lot of the biggest, best races. But now, you know, you're not just seeing best buddies 
fellow Florida team, you're seeing Legion, you're seeing ButcherBox, you're seeing Evolo, you're seeing all these other teams from around the country for the first time in 18 months. Was there a little bit of a, you know, shakeup between then and now as far as personnel and as far as attitudes, you know, of what's happening? Uh, I think there's more people that are focused on these bigger crits. Um, I think Legion's kind of started something because, you know, they obviously they, they've won quite a few races. And now there's, I think, I feel like Best Buddies was almost made just to beat them, you know? And so I, I think there's uh, people trying to figure out, like, how do we beat these guys? And, you know, Connor, Sally, he, he did it yesterday. So that was awesome. And then uh, Project Echelon today. But, yeah, I think uh, maybe people are realizing, hey, I can't do 2,000 watts for 30 seconds or whatever those boys do at Legion. So I guess they're, they're mixing it up and not banking on the sprint at the end. And that's obviously what happened yesterday at Crystal City. It was a little interesting because as the race progressed, there was this larger breakaway that kind of split you know, towards the end of the race, which is when the four guys got up the road with Steven Vogel being in the fourth place position. And then Sam Boardman in no man's land, the most desperate approach, the most desperate attack, almost makes the juncture on the last lap to get up to those leading four. You know, and and that, you know, leads you to today here in Clarendon, a hundred kilometer course, 90 degrees 93 degrees it's hotter here than it is in south florida right now you know what do you think about these 100k crits is this a good thing (laughs) it's almost like a road race you know (laughs) like i was definitely nervous coming into it because i i'm a heavy sweater uh and there was it was different having the the feed zones in the crits i I was a little indifferent about that because there were a lot of gaps that opened up because people would go to get a feed. There's, you know, but you have to with a 100-kilometer crit with this heat. I mean, it's almost a safety issue um, if you don't have something like that. I, I think it's cool to see such a challenging event because I think the harder, harder the race is, you know, the faster we can become and, you know, crush souls you know potentially wherever else in the in the uh world like over in europe they're racing every day doing kermesses and whatnot and killing it the competition's steep i think the competition's getting steeper here i don't know i I, I like to see it definitely less people here today than there was yesterday i don't know if there were more crashes or people that crashed out yesterday well my teammate dj brew did crash out yesterday he was in that early crash, and apparently his arm got worse overnight, so he didn't start. But, you know, the way today played out was not what one would typically anticipate being a Clarendon Cup race. Normally you get the two-, three-person breakaway that laps the field, and then UHC takes over of old, and then they bring them to the line. This ends up in a one-person breakaway, followed by a desperate eight-person chase group, and then the decimated field. What is it about this course that decimates the field and brings it from 135 guys down to 30 guys? Because you saw 
Some of the best racers in the country not finish today. Tom Gibbons did not finish. He crashed. Justin Williams did not finish today. He pulled out, you know, halfway through the race. What is it about this course that's so hard? Well, the um, for me, it was so I'm I'm pretty good at sagging and getting in the tight areas. I'm I'm usually hanging out at the front of the race, and uh, I really struggled to move up just because the corners were tight. Um, the accelerations were heavy coming out, and then whenever everybody sat up, you were just so gassed that, you know, you'd, it's like, I'm, I'm content with where I'm at, because I don't want to pedal more. It was just, it was a lot of heavy accelerations, and those are bigger guys, you know. Um, a lot of people were clashing with the cornering speeds. Uh, I got, I, I feel like I can usually corner faster, and then I was having to brake a lot. Um, and then whenever I got towards the front, it was good, but towards the front, you're eating a lot of wind. So, you know, it's like, well, do I want to be in the front and eat wind and not have to break as much into the corners? Or am I going to be a little bit back and have to accelerate really hard out of each corner? So that was a mental struggle that I was dealing with. And then on top of that, you have the... 90 plus degree day sunny and it's 100 kilometers so it's definitely a a brutal brutal combination so it ends with steven vogel winning and then behind steven vogel it was scott mcgill of ae volo noah granigan ty magner of legion and john heinlein of project echelon steven vogel dr vogel probably going to be uh, having trouble living this one down. He posted up with one to go, thinking that he had won the race with one to go. And he had only about an eight or nine second lead. And everybody on the finish line was just like, Vogel, you got to go, man. You've got one more kilometer left. He could have Alaphilippe himself right out of the wind today, but he did not. You know, Project Echelon kind of been flying under the radar a little bit in the last couple of years. Definitely been top five in the country, but been overshadowed a little bit by the legions, by the butcher boxes. Is it Project Echelon's year in 2021? I mean, they definitely have some really strong hitters this year. And they they tore it up down in uh, in northeast Tennessee. There's uh, Roan Grown. It's a uh, 88-mile road race and... Uh, mountaintop finish with eight mile long climb and i saw them up there with uh stephen bassett so i mean they they definitely have a very strong team i've raced with a lot of those guys for quite a few years and they are consistently all top guys but i don't know if they've all been on a team together so it's it's pretty exciting to to see that team come together they've been a very quiet over the last month and a half. Very quiet, just constantly grinding it out, and obviously we've seen the results here today. One thing we have to do, Tulsa is up next week, you know, which means we've got to look forward to power rankings. How things have shaped up since we last did our preseason power rankings, and oh my, we were on, but we were off with the power rankings coming into this. So, you know, coming in fifth, in the power rankings for this week off a top 20 yesterday and also a top five today, John Heinlein from Project Echelon. 
Um, Noah Granigan in fourth place from Wildlife Pro. He had an incredible race yesterday and ends up third today. Sam Boardman from Legion, you know, getting in no man's land and doing it the hard way yesterday. Just five, ten laps out there by yourself. Gotta be, gotta be somebody you have to think about for the future. Connor Saley in second place. And the only reason that Connor's not in first place is because Steven Vogel, two days in a row in the break, today doing it himself for 20, 25 kilometers out. These guys are the best of the best this week. You think we nailed it on that list? It very well could be. Uh, I def- Connor is consistently always up there, you know, breakaways or sprinting or... You know, um, Steven Vogel, that was impressive. And then, wait, who is the Legion, the guy that... Well, Sam Boardman was in there today and yesterday, so... Yeah, so I, I heard about Sam, because I, you know, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty cross-eyed yesterday. The heat got to me. I prepped a little better today, but, uh, yeah, I, I heard about him just floating out there and then finally just snapping and making it up there, and that's... That's something, yeah. So, there are definitely some strong guys, but I think people have different weeks. Uh, this is the first first race of the year. Uh, I think race fitness for some people will come later. I think some people have been racing longer than others, so I think I think that can mix things up. But I, I think I think that list will I think they'll stay consistent up there because those are always they're consistent guys. They're you know, consistency is the name of the game. So you're out for Tulsa, but you're in for Toad. Oh, so I've, I have a wedding on Sunday. So I'm flying out, racing Friday for the USA Crit Series, and then I'm flying back. So it, it's a little bit of a headache, but it'll be good. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm in for Toad. I'm going to be doing the last five days. Um, you know, got to work. Got to be able to afford to bike race, so. It is hard. <laughs> they don't pay us as much as we all wish they did. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, back in the studio here for a few concluding thoughts on, on the men's side of the race this weekend at Armed Forces. I would say surprise and shock would be some of the terms that would a lot of people would be feeling right now because the names who are at the top aren't necessarily the names that in 2019 you would have thought of would have been at the top. I think Celine Oberholzer nailed it in her previous show where she said a lot of the people who are going to be there in 2021 are going to be people who were finishing just off the podium or a few steps down below that in 2019, there was a lot of hunger and that hunger added to the fuel and the fuel added to the fire and they just kept going. Connor Saley from ButcherBox, obviously nailing it when he needs to. Not a classic sprinter, but we all need to sprint no matter what. Connor's very good at it and he came out of that group with, with the goods. And Steven Vogel just... I would love to see his power meter and I'd love to see how many watts he was putting out on that course on Sunday, 450, 500 sustained, probably not going to be a big shock. He's not the smallest guy in the field. So, you know, a lot to go there, but 
this story is also equally about who wasn't there as who was. You know, we had billed this as this big Justin Williams, Corey Williams, best buddies competition. You know, Marcotte and McCabe weren't here this weekend. And Justin did, to his credit, end up finishing sixth on Saturday at Crystal City at the head of the field sprint. But it was the other guys from Legion, the Ty Magners, Alec Cowens, and Sam Boardmans, who, in the absence of a dominating sprint finish, did the work that they needed to do to make sure that their team ended up represented on the podium and also on the wide-angle podium. So there still is a lot of hope and a lot of potential for a Legion-dominated summer, but the other teams clearly not buying in to that narrative at all. You know, with Project Echelon, with the work that they did this week, not just with Stephen Vogel, but also with John Heinland finishing fifth on Sunday, clearly got to be a team that people may not have been paying attention to in February and March, but they should definitely start paying attention to them now. There were a couple of teams not really mentioned during the course of our talk there that kind of need to be like AE Volo and also D3 Cycling. Brian Gomez, under the radar, nobody knows where he was, nobody knows what was going on, and then all of a sudden he spends... 25 to 30% of the race weekend by himself off the front doing it solo. If he had had some help, a couple of brake mates, I think that it could have been a different result for him. Unfortunately, he didn't end up with anything great as far as a final result, but definitely out there, definitely ahead of the group for a long time, making the action happen. I'd like to see some more from CS Velo in in the coming weeks. Alan Schroeder, clearly, you know, not here, but there were a lot of really great guys from CS Velo, like Will Gleason, who was there. And unfortunately, they just found themselves in the middle of the pack. Best Buddies, not a great finish for them, but definitely taking advantage and animating the field. Michael Hernandez on Saturday with a with a desperate attempt to try to bridge to the four guys who are up the road. It didn't end up working, but he definitely put the power down. Danny Estevez and Ruben, they were at the front on Sunday a lot trying to push the pace. And it really was that. It was just this constant pushing of the pace that eventually broke the field wide open. And when we say broke the field wide open... In the last couple of laps, Steven Vogel was catching the rear of the field. But it really wasn't like the rear of the field. It was just the twos and threes of people that had been spit off the back, but the off the back was just everybody. So it was Steven, eight guys not named Steven Vogel, and then just the scattered remains of the field where you went from 125, 130 guys down to like 30 by the end of it. That is some serious attrition and something that, you know, shows just exactly how hard it is to compete, not o- not only in a 100K course, but a hot, contested, technical race like Armed Forces. Looking forward to Tulsa, there is a lot that's going to be shaken out. Obviously, it's going to be the first matchup of, of Crit Beef with Justin and Travis, you know, Travis is still coming off 200 miles from Unbound. Hopefully, Marcotte will be there 
to give assistance to Travis, and we'll get to see what really happens in a shorter and hopefully less hot race at night at Blue Dome. You know, Blue Dome has finished more often than not in a in a very big field sprint, and riders do get to take some serious risks to get to the front there at the end. I mean, I've seen Brad Huff 10 years ago going with the whole Jelly Belly squad in a line, just heads down, and that was a great finish. You'll probably expect to see more of that this week on Friday night. Saturday, kind of a day for breakaways, kind of a day maybe for a field sprint. It's it's anybody's guess there. But Sunday at Crybaby Hill, that's the strong man's race. Crybaby Hill is just a hard, hard day. There's nothing technical about the course, unlike Clarendon. It's just the presence of that hill, the presence of the temperature, the fact that it is a late afternoon race. So you'll see a lot of people who struggled with the heat this week might end up struggling with the heat on Sunday at Crybaby Hill as well, because D.C. and Tulsa... Uh, they're north-south, just about the same line. So you're not going to get a lot of Maine, Canada winter weather going on there in the middle of June. Takeaway from this week, Project Echelon definitely came out ahead uh, ahead of everybody. They deserved their victory overall with the Omnium with Stephen Vogel. You know, people will now definitely be looking at them and it will be a little bit harder for him to get up the road by himself. But, you know, it shouldn't have been a shock since he did the exact same thing on on Saturday just with three other people. A lot, a lot of season left to go. But like Celine said, it's condensed. We're going to be coming fast, hot, just like the race this weekend again next week and get you some results from Tulsa Tough. Thanks for joining us in another episode of the show. We are a proud partner of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Find out more at wideanglepodium.com. Special thanks this week to guest co-hosts Celine Oberholzer and Kyle Teasler. Next week, we'll be joined again by Celine and by Alan, so it'll be a full cast, and we may even have a guest special appearance by Adam Mills from Source Endurance. Remember source-e.net. Use the promo code CriteriumNation at checkout for $50 off. We'll see you guys next week at Tulsa Tough, Blue Dome, Sound Pony, Crybaby Hill. It's going to be great. Crip Beef in the house. Bring your Crip Beef t-shirts. They've shipped out. I got mine today. Super cool. See you again next week with more stories from our Criterium Nation. Wow. What an episode. That was amazing. When that one person said that thing and then the other person totally like set them straight. Oh, man. That was great. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that again. But hey, since I have your attention now, hello, cyclocross friends, new friends and old friends and soon to be friends. My name's Bill. I host another show on the Wide Angle Podium podcast network. It's called Cyclocross Radio. 
and we talk to the biggest stars in cyclocross and even the medium stars in cyclocross and some of the soon-to-be stars in cyclocross. We also have a panel discussion we call the Media Pit with my buddy Zach and Michael where we go over all of the new rules that might be coming out and the calendar situations and races that happen. It's a great time. It's a great conversation. We built an amazing community that we want you to be part of. So go to wideanglepodium.com, become a member there, then go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Cyclocross Radio. Do it. Do it now. Cyclocross friends.